You're listening to another episode of the Beulah Girl Podcast. For links, related resources, and even more encouragement, visit BeulahGirl.com. Hi, friend. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is the Beulah Girl Podcast, and I'm Carol Whitaker, your host. We are in a series called Motherhood, The Joys, Challenges, and Trials, and If you haven't checked out the previous two episodes, I encourage you to do so. In the first episode in the series, I shared my own story of being a stay-at-home mom and some of the challenges I've had with that and how God has encouraged me in my current season to find joy in what I do to also see myself as valuable because that can be difficult sometimes when you're in the daily grind of housework and, and, you know, being with small children all day long. Last week... I discussed the idea of um, moms, what our job is exactly, what the Bible says in Titus 2 about being a keeper of the home, what that means, and also just a further encouragement on the value we have as moms, whether that's a stay-at-home mom or a, a mom that works outside the home, whatever role you find yourself in. This week, I want to take a little bit different direction and talk about training our children. And I'm going to be looking at a passage that is familiar to many people, even those that aren't necessarily a part of the Christian faith would be able to, you know, identify this particular passage. It's one that's quoted often, but I want to just unpack it a little bit and maybe even bring some fresh insights. Sometimes if we're familiar with a scripture, we may not you know, we may sort of um, not really know everything that, you know, that we can learn about it and assume that, you know, maybe there aren't any fresh insights we can get. But I think you'll be surprised at some some of the ideas we can draw from this. I know I certainly was as I looked deeper into it. If you listen to my previous episode, you know that we've been going through in my own household just kind of a rough patch of just, first of all, our schedules are just packed right now with my husband's work schedule and, you know, we're nearing the end of school year and activities are coming to a close. We also have testing at school. It just seems like everything right now is just about as full as it can possibly be. We can't add another thing onto our plates. And on top of all of that, we've had several repairs we've had to do in our house. For instance, last week, my washing machine broke down and I had water leaking through into my dining room, had to cancel Easter dinner. The family was going to come over. We had to get a new washing machine and also wipe up and clean up the water. We had the week before an issue with our air conditioning unit, and we've also had some problems with our van. So it just seems like we've been going through the muck and the mire. And this week, rather than problems in our house, we had trials of a different kind and We, you know, I basically had some moments pop up this week where my children were very hard to manage and I couldn't help but think, wow, can, you know, is it possible that I'm actually doing a podcast episode on training children? And there were some moments this week where my children acted like they had never been instructed or told the right way to go a a moment in their lives. I'm just going to be honest about that. And So I'm going to share one of those moments in a minute, but I do want to just emphasize that I'm coming at this message, not from an angle of I've learned everything, I know everything, but just I'm learning along with you. And these are 
you know, passages that I think have encouraged me in my own journey that I'm walking through right now as a mom of a 10, a seven and three year old. I'm very much in the daily grind for the mothering as you may be. And so I do come in as, as sort of a fellow traveler with you, not necessarily an expert that's saying, wow, I've learned everything. And certainly I was humbled as a mom yesterday, you know, anytime I have a thought like, wow, I'm doing a good job or I'm, I'm, you know, my kids are really well behaved. Then we have a moment where I'm, I'm humbled. And this was one of those moments yesterday. I knew that we were going to have a little bit of a tough afternoon because my daughter has a dance recital this weekend that she basically has been working towards all year. And she had an extra rehearsal this past week to get ready for that. And she had to be there virtually, you know, an hour or so after she got off the bus. And so I knew that it was going to be a little bit of a struggle to get all three of my kids in the car. Again, I have a 10, seven and three year old and inevitably anytime we have to leave to go anywhere, the, you know, my youngest, her diaper needs to be changed. She doesn't feel like going. So there's a tantrum, you know, she needs a snack or we have to make sure, you know, her sippy cups packed or, you know, some other thing. We can't find someone's, you know, something shoes or sweatshirt or something. And so it's inevitably this major ordeal to get out the door. And so I was trying to plan ahead. I even made dinner, a breakfast casserole earlier in the day so that I didn't have to even worry about the dinner equation and tried to get on top of things. But I had a feeling, you know, afternoons tend to be very hairy in our household. Things are very calm in the morning. And then it's like the storm just erupts when my other two get home, just because I have three kids I'm dealing with in the morning, I've got one. I can manage one generally, but when two, the two other ones come home, we've got homework we're dealing with. We've got activities we've got to get to. We've got dinner that needs to happen. And we've got three different kid personalities and kids are getting tired, you know, at that point in the day. So it can be very hairy at times. So I knew that going into this afternoon, but I really couldn't be prepared for just how hairy things got. So I told my daughter right when she got off the bus, Again, she's had a full day of school, a bus ride. She probably did not feel like immediately getting into dance mode. But I said, you know, I told her she needed to get dressed. She needed to get her dance stuff together because we were literally going to have to leave very soon. And so she was doing all of that. And two minutes before we're supposed to go, she tells me she can't find her dance shoes. Well, we always leave her dance shoes in a particular activity you know, bag that she has in the garage hanging on a hook so that we don't lose them. She can just grab it, add a bottle of water, a snack. We can be on our way. But we could, she had used that bag the night before and we had gone to a game and we could not find her dance shoes. She couldn't remember where she had taken them off. She couldn't remember if they were in the car, if they were in her room. And we literally had to get out the door. And so I'm trying to tell myself not to scream I'm trying to remain calm. I'm trying to go through options in my head of what is going to happen if we cannot find these shoes because she has a dance, you know, she has her dance big recital the very next day. What are we going to do? She's used to dancing in these shoes. We don't have time to break in new shoes. We don't have time to go get new shoes. I'm thinking all these worst case scenarios and we're frantic. We're tearing up her room. We're looking under her bed. I'm looking under couches. I'm running through the house. And 
after about a 10 minute search, which by the way, we are supposed to leave, <laughs> you know, we after she announced that we, it was like the time we need to leave. So 10 minutes of searching, we finally find them in the very bag that they usually are in, but it had been put in a different place. And needless to say, we had torn the, hair, the house upside down. So we were kind of rushed anyway. So now we're running late and we're a little behind, but I'm like, okay, well, it's, it is what it is. And let's, let's still, you know, just try to get there in one piece. So we get into the car, we drive to her dance place. And when we get out of the van, my two-year-old for reasons unknown to me at that moment, throws an epic tantrum when we're walking into the church where my, my daughter has her, her dance, um, uh, where she goes to dance. It's a church um, program. And when my daughter throws tantrums, they are, she, you know, is very difficult to carry because she's kicking, she's screaming, she's flailing her arms. And so I have this screaming out of control child. Thankfully, I see a friend and I ask her to walk my daughter in because my other daughter is so out of control that I don't want to walk her in at the moment. And when my friend walks in my daughter, I discover that my two-year-old's upset because we left her ball in the car. So we go get that. Things are, you know, I get that tantrum under control. And then my friend comes out and says to me that my daughter has looked in the bag that she brought and she brought the wrong bag. She did not have her dance shoes. Well, our home is 20, 25 minutes away. And so we have to drive back home, get the dance shoes and come back. So that's going to be another, you know, like 45 minutes, hour basically of time that we don't really, I didn't really plan on spending doing that. that. I had to run to the store really quick. And I know from looking at my son and my three-year-old that they're already done for the day. Like they don't want to be in the car for another hour and I can tell that. And I was think had been planning to bring them home, let them play outside a little bit, just kind of ease into the evening while my daughter was at this rehearsal and my husband was going to be picking her up. So I said, okay, we got to go back. So we drive back home to get the shoes and all the way home, my daughter erupts into another tantrum, my youngest, and screams all the way home for 25 straight minutes of screaming which really my nerves are so on edge at this point with just everything going on. It's already been a tough week and we arrive home. Our nerves are completely on edge and I, my son starts unstrapping his seatbelt and I say, Hey buddy, you got to stay in the car. Mommy's just going to run in, get out, El- you know, Elspeth's shoes, my daughter, and then come back. We have to go back to the dance place. And he, apparently he hadn't heard anything that I had said to him about us going back and he's upset. He was thinking he was going to play outside, get to go, you know, see his, his friends, whatever. And he doesn't like going to my daughter's dance to begin with. It doesn't put him in a particularly good mood because he thinks it's boring. A lot of times we have to wait there for her while she's at rehearsal. And so then my son just basically tells me, no, he's not going to go to dance and he's you know, he's not going to get in a seatbelt again. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, excuse me, but you are. And basically buckle that seatbelt in, buddy, or you're going to face some serious consequences. So 
needless to say, my, my, my son stands his ground. I tell him to get in the house where I'm going to be dealing with him. And basically, instead of um, cooperating, my son runs away from me and says, no, he's not going to do what I'm asking. I basically tell him that I don't have time to deal with that and that he better get in the car. Um, you know, I was going to administer spanking, but I'm not going to chase him. And I'll just let his dad deal with him when he comes home and that his technology privileges are gone for an extended period of time. So he gets in the car because he knows with the threat of his dad that it's, you know, he better listen. And so here we have the lost shoes, the tant- the toddler meltdown, the son that is refusing to listen, which by the way, he's the sweetest boy, but he just tests his boundaries, especially when he's with me and especially when his dad's gone a lot, which he's been gone a lot with coaching. So here I have on my hands all of these situations and we got my daughter her dance shoes, my toddler calmed down, my son, my husband dealt with him when he came home and he was repentant, <laughs> but it was just like, I had to stop for a minute and think, my goodness, what, you know, no one could have prepared me for these kind of whirlwind moments where I'm literally caught in a storm and we will have these moments throughout our day. As I described with our children, where it just feels like everything blows up in our face. And as I described with my son, where, you know, we need to enforce a boundary, address a habit or an act, you know, pattern of behavior, instruct our child in a particular situation. However, you know, this is happening while life is happening. So we may be just really busy at the moment. Maybe we're in a public place and we're, you know, trying to get some shopping done or something, or maybe we have somewhere we need to be. And all of a sudden this issue pops up. And so rather than address it, we may just say, you know what, I don't have time for this right now. And it's, you know, perfectly okay to be, you know, if you can't address it at the moment to say, okay, we'll deal with this when we get home. But, um, you know, sometimes we just are ignore it and we don't address it. But these moments that pop up are so important to address because the Bible tells us we need to train and mold our children. I want to read to you from the passage I was talking about. Proverbs 22, 6 says this in the ESV. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The word train here means in the Hebrew, not only to train, but also to dedicate. Essentially what it means then is to effectively parent our children is to dedicate or consecrate a child to God and teach a child to know God and walk in his ways. So there's a sense of not only teaching them the right way to go, but there's a sense of this child is yours and I'm giving this child to you, God, back to you and teaching this child in the ways um, that you would want me to teach him the, your ways and teaching him what it means to be a Christian. In addition, as the pulpit commentary explains, train in the Hebrew also means to put something into the mouth to give, to be tasted. So this word train is not only talking about instructing our children, dedicating our children, but it's also talking about introducing them or initiating them to a particular way of life, just like you would initiate or introduce your children to 
a particular food. So when you, you know, the first time that you give a child a particular food, they may not really like it. They may spit it out. They may, you know, express distaste for that. But if you keep on introducing that food, eventually they're going to grow accustomed to it. And yes, they will put their foot down and not want to eat certain foods. But, you know, all the parenting books, if you read them, say if you want to get a child to grow accustomed to eating a particular food, just keep introducing it. And eventually they will probably try it. Um, I know that um, for me, when I first got married and I moved from Washington to Georgia, that was really a source of, I didn't realize a source of homesickness for me. I didn't realize just how different other people their food would be. And I didn't realize how accustomed I was to my mom's cooking and the way that we would do our holidays and the different foods that we would eat. I was just accustomed to a different way of eating with my husband's family in the South. They, the food was just really different. They would drink iced tea, which is basically like, you know, brewed black tea with sugar, what they called sweet tea. They would drink sweet tea and with all their meals, and they would have a lot of different sides. Like for instance, for a holiday, if you had a turkey or a ham, then you would have maybe, you know, five or six sides with that, even more. But we, I wasn't accustomed, you know, for instance, for Thanksgiving, we might have a turkey, mashed potatoes, gravy, stuffing, and like maybe pie or something for dessert. But in my husband's family in the South, they would have a turkey, mashed potatoes, gravy, stuffing, mac and cheese, green bean casserole, squash casserole, corn casserole, sweet potato casserole. I mean, they would literally have a whole table full of sides to choose from. And that was so different. It was just a different, everything tasted different to me too. It was a little bit sweeter. A lot of the vegetables were really boiled down and often were a little bit sweeter than I was used to. And so that was a source of, I didn't really realize I had grown so accustomed to my mother's cooking. But what it's talking here in the verse is that we give our children a taste, just like they grow accustomed to the kind of food, you know, that we eat in our household and they will probably most likely eat similar foods when they're older because they're used to it. Um, but they also, it's telling us that we train our children that we help them become accustomed to a particular way of life and a way of doing things. And we give them a taste. We initiate them into that when they're early, when they're young. And it tells us that they will not depart from it when they're old. We should also observe in the proverb that we are to train up a child in the way he should go. The actual wording in the Hebrew is, that's the ESV I read, but the actual wording in the Hebrew is, we should train a child in his way. Now, this doesn't mean just any old way this child wants to go. As commentator Albert Barnes notes, this is according to the tenor of his way, the path especially belonging to, especially fitted for the individual's character. Therefore, while this certainly means the way that he should go in terms of Christian values, this isn't a way that is rigidly determined without carefully studying and get, getting to know the child. This means that we are to take into account the unique temperament and gifts of the child and also consider this child's future possibilities, directing a child in the best way for him to go 
after observing these qualities in the child and continually praying about how to best direct him. So a lot of times I I think that we get the impression when we read about directing a child that it's just this rigid, you, you know, obedience. And while we should teach our child to be obedient and while we should teach them God's word and those principles, there is a desire that we should have to lead our children according to not only the we're using the principles of God's word, but we're taking into consideration the child's unique temperament and giftings. And we're not simply just creating a way for a child to go down without first studying that child, without praying through the decisions that we're helping our child make and the choices we're making in terms of what activities is this child involved in? What schooling is this child involved in? What, um, what future possibilities, what is this child most likely going to pursue? And how can we best parent this child to be able to best reach his God-given potential? And so it's not only a training in terms of character, but also in terms of what the child is going to be in the future. So I want to bring... I've kind of explained to you what it means to train a child, but I want to bring about two points in relation to that in talking about Proverbs 22, 6. And the first idea I want to just kind of point out, it seems so obvious, is in training our children, the proverb makes the point that our children need our guidance and direction. And this seems so obvious that we don't even need to mention it. But I think it's important to look at the fact that the word of God does give the job of guiding and training children to the parents. But what we see in our society as there is, you know, this move, I think, to erase God and erase Christian values from our society, we see this increasing contempt for authority, for boundaries, and really a contempt for parental authority within the home. And you'll even see parents today who assert all sorts of things about how the child can, should be telling the parents about what way the child wants to go in terms of gender, in terms of sexuality, in terms of behavior, in terms of important life choices. And again, this passage in Proverbs is not saying that we need to make choices for our children without letting them have any say or without considering what path would be best for them or letting them help in that process. We will learn a lot from our children by listening to them and they will You know, certainly I enjoy talking with my children and I don't by any means want to be that kind of parent who doesn't listen, doesn't ever think I can learn anything from my children. But the proverb is very clear that young people need the right training in order to go down the right path. Elsewhere in Proverbs, we see the same idea that young people left to their own devices will 
lean towards a path that is not good for them. I want to just read to you Proverbs 29, 15, which tells us a rod and reprimand impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined disgraces its mother. Some translations read that a child left to himself or left alone disgraces his mother. The NAS says a child who gets his own way, the new American standard is one that brings shame or disgraces his mother. What stands out to me with each of these translations I've read is that the child who brings disgrace is one who is simply allowed to do what he wants and get his own way. In Proverbs nineteen eighteen, similarly, it says, Discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. In the New Living Translation, it basically says that a lack of discipline of our children will ruin their lives, or as the Good News Translation says, will help them destroy themselves. The wording in these Proverbs is so strong about what will happen if children are left alone. And yet that's exactly what we see in our society is that many children now are being simply, you know, they're being, they're, they have a home provided for them. They have, you know, they're given food to nurture them. They have clothes to wear, but the parents are simply have a hands-off, do what you please. You know, the child sort of is able to choose his own course in a way that, he or she can't possibly choose at that particular age. And the Bible is saying, no, the parent, you must come in with the, with the wisdom from God's word, with the wisdom that comes from your relationship with God and help that child along the right way. Because if we don't, if we leave our, those children to themselves and essentially let them get their training elsewhere or just train themselves they are essentially, we are signing a death sentence for our children. It tells us that in Proverbs nineteen eighteen, it says, do not be a willing party to their death. Children that are not taught the ways of God will ruin their own lives with their choices. I mean, there are always stories of children who are raised in homes with unbelievers or raised in poor homes coming to Christ at a later time and turning their life around. There can be those stories, but What it's telling us in Proverbs is that if we can avoid that, if we can set our child on the right way, then we are giving them such a gift in life and that there will be consequences. Um, Even adults who have had years of going down the wrong path, even after they come to Christ, there may still be consequences in their lives for some of the bad choices they've made um, that they could have avoided had they gone down the right path. Proverbs 13, 24 says, whoever spares a rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. So while our society increasingly advocates that young parents, or I'm sorry, young people simply go the way they want, the word of God is clear in the point that young people should not be left to govern themselves, but rather be brought up in the instruction and training of the Lord. Now, the second point I want to bring out in relation to this is that not only do does the proverb em- emphasize the idea that youths need training, but the proverb also brings out the idea that training has benefits for not only children, but parents. When we give our children a taste of the right path early on, this training not only has benefits in keeping our children from going down the wrong path, the proverb tells us this training also has benefits for us as parents in that they will adhere to the right way. They will not depart from the right path. Proverbs twenty nine seventeen says, Discipline your children 
and they will give you peace. They will bring you the delights you desire. So it's saying the same idea that we see here in Proverbs 22 to 6, which is saying that they will adhere to the right path if we lead, you know, lead them to it. Two things in relation to this. When we take the time to discipline our children, we don't have to worry about our kids growing up and getting into trouble as adults or making us look bad or turning away from the right path because they're still walking in the training they learned in their youth. In contrast to the disgrace that will fall on us if we leave our children to train ourselves themselves, the mothers of disciplined children, the parents will be able to enjoy the fruits of their hard work when their children are older. Now, I do want to just emphasize the discipline that it's talking about is not a harsh discipline where parents go on a power trip or misuse parental authority. This is talking about a discipline that is loving with the end goal of instilling in our children habits that will be hard to break when they're older. In addition, I also want to point out that a proverb is providing a principle to us, not a promise that this will be the guarantee. There are godly parents who have children who go down wicked paths and they've done everything right, but it still is the child's choice in the end, what path they choose. But it is saying that as parents, that the result will most likely be if we teach them the right uh, path, that they will have a very hard time turning from it. And though this isn't a guarantee, it certainly is a wise way to parent and give our kids every opportunity to choose what is right and do everything in our power to make sure that they choose the right path. When I was doing some studying on these passages to write this article, I ran across a statement that stopped me in my tracks. If we don't teach our kids, someone else will. If we aren't taking the time to teach them intentionally about the ways of God and how to live life, they will learn how to live from TV shows, from neighbors, from teachers, and the habits and values they pick up may not necessarily be Christian ones. In fact, they probably won't. I want to read to you what the sermon commentary says on this point. Children are not only capable of training, but they will be trained in spite of us. And if we do not take them in hand and with a very definite end in view, which we pursue with inflexible purpose and unflagging constancy and end not lower than heaven, not narrower than narrower than eternity and not meter than their salvation, another process will assuredly be going on, which air or before long fills us with dismay, dismay. We must know that children are always at school, even when they seem to be away from it. So we get this idea that in this, in this path, you know, in this commentary, this is idea that our kids are always learning. If they don't receive training from us, they're going to get it from somewhere. They're going to pick up values from friends, from school, from teachers from TV shows. And of course, we need other people that can help to guide our children. And it's not wrong to send our kids to school or it's not wrong. We don't keep our kids in a bubble. But if we don't provide that instruction that someone else is going to take that place and provide that instruction or, you know, and the results are going to not be what we would want. If discipline has such amazing results, why is it that so many parents choose not to discipline? Well, I think there are several reasons and I've alluded to these a little bit earlier in my intro, but 
Number one is training. Training takes time, effort, and patience. Sometimes it just feels easier in the moment not to take the time to instruct our children. We may be in a hurry, feel like we just don't have the time. We may be, you know, just exasperated because our children may not pick up the habit that we want to teach them as quickly as we would like. We may have to teach them over and over and keep on training and retraining. And that can be really tiring. Number two, we may think our instruction is just not working. Again, we may be teaching the same concept over and over and not see really an improvement in behavior and think, what's the point of this? Why am I addressing this? This isn't even working. I'm just giving up on this. When we continually need to keep on teaching and reteaching and being patient and persevering to see the results we're looking for. Number three, we may mistakenly believe we are hurting our children. You know, that is kind of the crazy idea you see in our society right now is that a lot of a lot of people are advocating this idea that boundaries or authority or rules that they're somehow restrictive and, and oppressive and we just need to liberate ourselves from that. Well, sometimes rules can be oppressive and sometimes they can be too rigid and sometimes we can be too rigid with our children. But the boundaries that the Bible speaks of and the boundaries that God gives us as his children Um, And the discipline he gives us as children of God is for our good. And the same way is the boundaries we're giving our children is because we love them and we want the best for them. And so when people say, oh, you know, this is going to hurt them. And I've even seen parents who don't, who don't give their children consequences because, or they even try to take the consequences away if their children get in trouble at school for doing the wrong thing, or they get in trouble with the law. They'll try to bail their kids, you know, out of the trouble without letting those consequences teach their children what they need to know. And I know because I'm a parent, I don't like my kids to feel pain. I want to shield them from it, but I have to let them sometimes feel the consequences. We have to let them feel the consequences sometimes of their choices If they made a wrong choice at school, then maybe that, you know, school in school suspension or that, you know, um, talk with the principal needs to happen and we shouldn't shield our kids from it because they need to feel the consequence in order that they will be deterred from doing that behavior again. And so there is that idea that, well, what if we hurt our children? Well, we're going to hurt them more if we don't discipline them. And then lastly, we just may not know what to do. We may have a situation where we don't know how to handle the, the behavior. We're just kind of hoping it will go away. But again, it's telling us in the word of God, we need to address it. We need to train our children. If we don't know how to address a behavior, we have the God of the universe who created our children. We can pray and ask him. We have believers that can come around us, that can pray for us, that can give us advice. People who are further along in the journey There are some wonderful resources out there written by Christian authors who have been through a similar circumstance. We need to just start praying, you know, Lord, help me to find the right resources, the right people to come around me with this, to seek out the answers that we need. It says in God's word that we need wisdom to ask for it. And James, I believe it's one five says to ask God that God doesn't leave us alone to do this parenting thing on our own. He comes alongside of us. He walks with us. He has given us this incredible task of parenting, not just to throw it in our laps and say, here, get it done. He walks with us in the journey. If we're doing at this point, you know, we feel like we're doing a terrible job that 
And if we're not disciplining our children, if we're just kind of being indifferent, that we can turn it, turn now and say, God, help me do the right thing. That there's grace, um, that God's with us. And if we're tired and worn out and feel like we can't go another step, God will renew us in wherever place we are. But the proverb emphasizes to us that we, when we choose to shape and direct our children the right way, we do the will of God and we'll certainly be able to enjoy our kids and family life as we grow older because we will be able to look and see the positive results out of the investment of our hard work and time into the lives of our children. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, you have given us this incredible job of being parents to our children. And we often will meet situations in our day, like I described with my my son and my, my other two kids. We will have situations that will be so overwhelming, that will get so out of control, that will get so beyond what we naturally may even know what to do in the situation, that we will feel inadequate, we'll feel like, what's the point? But Lord, you say in your word that if we train our children, if we discipline them in your ways, if we invest the time, if we don't simply ignore the behavior, if we listen to the counsel in your word, which says that we are to instruct our children the way that they are to go so that they will not depart from it when they're old. Lord, that we will see the fruits of our labor. We will see a reward for our investment. And Lord, it tells us that if we put in the hard work now, that Lord, there will be a return. So Lord, help us to do the hard work now. Help us if we're weary, if we're so over it, if we just can't seem to get past certain behavior with our children, that Lord, you would give us the strength. You would give us the courage to be fierce, to be strong, to go against the tide of the culture, which says you don't have to discipline your kids. You don't have to instruct them. Just let them do what they want, Lord. We would follow what your word says. We would engage in parenting our kids the way that you would ask us to. And that, Lord, we would look to you for help in this job that we cannot do alone. In Jesus' name, amen.